If you've been around Lake Effect for a while, you probably have figured out over the last four years that Lord of the Rings is one of my favorite movies. You probably know that because I've referenced that movie in several of my messages, probably the only movie I've ever referenced in the last four years. I love the movie. It's a, some of you, if you're not familiar with it, it's a book. It's a trilogy of three different movies. And if you want to watch all three movies, it's about a 13 or 14 hour investment of your time. And I probably watched the trilogy maybe 10 or 15 times in the last 15, 20 years. But there's something you need to know about me is that if I had to watch those movies on my own, I never would have got through the first movie. I probably would have never made it through the first 15 minutes. It's kind of a complicated movie. There's a lot of different characters with very unusual names. Some of the characters have names that are very similar to each other. And on top of that, it's not just people in the movie. You have elves and you have hobbits and you have... Uh, wizards and warriors and just a very kind of complicated movie with a lot of different complicated scenes and a lot of different battles and quite honestly sometimes that movie's just kind of over my head and the reason is because I don't concentrate that well when I watch a movie I'm not really a movie person I don't go to the movie theaters it's just something that I really don't like to do that much but I love the Lord of the Rings and you probably wonder how did you come to like a 14-hour movie if you can't concentrate well in a movie and you're not into movies. See, the reason I love Lord of the Rings is because of my wife. Becky loves Lord of the Rings. She loves the movie. She loves the books. She likes the books about the books. She likes the allegory of the movie. If I've watched the series 10 times, she's probably watched it 100 times. Lord of the Rings is kind of a, her therapy couch. When she's discouraged, when she's frustrated, she watches the movie. Then she pulls out beautiful imagery in the movie and sees a lot of allegories that are referenced in Scripture. So she loves the movie. And just over time, her love for the movie just kind of rubbed off a little bit on me. See, what Becky does, if I watch the movie with her, she will explain everything to me. See, I'm the kind of person, I'm like, who's that? What's he doing? What, they tell? what battle? And she's just patient. Let's me ask her all these questions over and over and over. I literally, I've watched the movie 15 times. I still ask the same questions. That three-hour movie, it's about a four or five-hour movie at our house because I'm pausing all the time and asking her for help. See, Becky loves the movie. She loves a trilogy. She loves the books. And what Becky believes is that every person would be a better person if they loved the Lord of the Rings movie series. So she will explain it to any person that wants to watch it. Because she knows that the movie is so rich that you're going to be blessed and you're going to benefit by watching it. See, Becky is the definition of a helper. She's the one that will come alongside you in the movie and explain everything to you so you really understand it well. And she doesn't stop there. She helps at all things. Becky is the definition of a helper. And the helpers, that's a unique word in the Greek language. You're going to find that word helper in the New Testament in several different spots. And the, the word, the Greek word for uh, helper is paraclete. The literal definition of a paraclete is somebody that comes alongside of you. Somebody that comes alongside of you for your aid. See, the basic meaning in the New Testament is that it is a strong person who is called in to a person who's in trouble. That's kind of the definition, the working definition. A strong person who is called in to help a person in a time of trouble. 
Now, when you see that word used in the Greek New Testament, when you see it used in the book of John, it's used as an active word. And when it's used as an active word, it means that the person is sent in. That somebody else sends in that person to bring help to another person. That's why the word is translated sometimes not just helper, but it's translated as counselor or advocate or encourager because somebody else sends in the helper to bring you help. But now it's interesting, this is not some super spiritual word in the New Testament. This word actually has its roots in the Greek military. It's a military term. See, in the old times, in the old Greek military, when, when soldiers would go to war, they would partner them with another soldier. That other soldier was to, you would, you'd, you'd, be, you'd be assigned to work with that other soldier. And so when you're fighting a battle, you'd be side to side or shield to shield. Or sometimes that other person would be behind you and watching the other different direction. It was designed so two people would work together for the maximum benefit of their protection and safety. And that other person that you're assigned to was called a paraclete. That's where the word comes from. The paraclete would be your helper in battle. So it's very interesting that in the New Testament, when they are going to describe Jesus and they're going to describe the Holy Spirit, they're going to use the word of paraclete. That's somebody that is sent in to come alongside you, to watch over you, to protect you, to encourage you, to strengthen you, and to keep you safe in battle. See, I think sometimes in our culture, when we hear about Holy Spirit or we hear about Jesus, we think, oh, it's a chaperone. It's somebody to kind of watch and keep track of, did you do this right? Did you do that wrong? But instead, when you heard that word in the New Testament back in you know, the first century, they're immediately going to think, God is going to send somebody into your situation to help you, to, to protect you, to look out for your best interest and to keep you safe. So when Jesus is talking about the paraclete, the Holy Spirit coming in, that would have been received very well because everybody's thinking through the military terms of somebody is coming to protect me. So think about that definition when, you, when I read to you John 14, verse 26. These are Jesus' words where he says, But the helper, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring you to remembrance all things that I've said to you. See, that's the role of the Holy Spirit, that it's a picture of comfort. This is a beautiful image that the Holy Spirit is being sent to you by God to protect you in the battle of life, to keep you safe and to watch over you. And so what is our role in all of this? Our role is we simply submit. We simply surrender to what God is already doing in our life. So I'm bringing up the Holy Spirit today for two distinct reasons. Number one, we've been in the series when we've been talking about the story that we tell to the nation. Been in a series that we've called, you know, what story are you telling? So we need to tell people what God has done in our life, what God is doing in our life, and we need to be prepared to tell people what is the story of the Bible. So if we're going to tell the story of the Bible, we have to include the Holy Spirit. So today we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit just a little bit, just the part of the Holy Spirit being the helper or the advocate, the one, come, the, the one that comes in to protect you. But second, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit because we're entering into the season of Lent. This Wednesday, we will be entering the season of Lent, which is the 40 days up into Palm Sunday when Jesus comes into the city. 
And so as a community, as a church, together we are going to be celebrating and participating in Lent together. I, have some, I, be, I actually have a gift bag for all of you that has not yet. Just baiting you all that you're going to get a gift bag. Those of you watching online, we're going to, we'll get you a gift bag in the next few days. So you have it by Wednesday. If you're watching online and you're kind of new to Lake Effect and you don't know us, you know, better send me an email and we'll include you on the list. But we're going to send you this bag because we want to move through this Lent season together and make it very special. I think a little bit last year we kind of got robbed of Lent and Easter and Good Friday because we had the virus was so new and I think in the, in the midst of the novelty of the virus and not sure what's going on, I think we missed the full impact of Lent and Good Friday and Easter because, well, we were watching the news a lot. So this year we thought let's make it really special. Let's make it something that we're going to remember, that we're going to participate so we have a little gift basket. But I'm going to talk about that a little later. I'm not going to get out the goodies yet and show them to you. We're going we're to talk about the book of Haggai. I want to go to look at the book of Haggai. Haggai is this wonderful little book in the Old Testament. Some of you might remember back in June, I did two messages on the book of Haggai because I love that book because I think that book is very prophetic in that it gives us a warning of what to do when you live in a community that is filled with discouragement. So I think it's very important that we go back and we look at the book of Haggai to see what kind of encouragement and what kind of warning that the prophet Haggai sounds off to people when you are experiencing discouragement. See, I had something very interesting that happened to me this week. I was listening to a podcast of one of my favorite, uh, Mark Sayers. He's a cultural commentator. He's a pastor in Australia. I listen to his podcast because he talks about the situation that's going on in the church and how the church interacts with politics. And so it's, it's a very interesting podcast. And so I was listening to him this week, and he's talking about the church and he's talking about the controversy that's going on in the church and in America and the rest of the world. And he's talking about COVID and he's talking about vaccines and talking about politics. And I got done with that podcast, and I was surprised that that podcast actually was first recorded eight months ago. It was recorded last June. But I was listening to it last week, and I thought it was, came out a few days earlier. And I listened to that, and I realized so much has not changed in the last eight months. That I could listen to a podcast that was talking about the situation going on in the world, going on in the church, and what I thought happened was recorded a few days ago was eight months ago. And I sat there and I thought, wow, we've had so much discouragement hit the church over and over and over again that it's even hard to even separate last week from eight months ago. Yeah, we've had a change in politics. We've rearranged some chairs in our government, but we still have a lot of the tension that is still going on and a lot of the frustration that is going on. And it seems that discouragement is so common that we're all living with a high level of discouragement, and I think sometimes we're not even aware of it. And so part of the reason that I'm doing this message and calling us into the special Lent season is because we need to be on guard for the amount of discouragement that each of us are facing. See, this discouragement is very sneaky. Discouragement has this way of creeping into our life And often it's without us even noticing. And it begins to rearrange our perspectives. It begins to rearrange our priorities. 
And what happens over time, we start doing things and thinking things that we never would have done if we were not discouraged. And each of us, we're in a big battle right now with discouragement. And I think it's very important that we are very sensitive to the Holy Spirit, that we're sensitive to the paraclete that God has sent to us to war for us through this battle. See, the Holy Spirit is present. As we read that psalm earlier that says God is standing next to us and that he is ready to do whatever is necessary. And we have the picture of the Holy Spirit that is inside of each of us that was sent to us strategically to protect us in battle. And we are in a battle right now. And one of the main enemies is this whole thing of discouragement. And I think we need to be really sensitive to what the Holy Spirit is speaking to each of us right now. Because the Holy Spirit does come alongside of us and says, let me help you. Let me encourage you. Let me strengthen you. Let me comfort you. Let me lighten your load. And each of us need that right now. Life has been hard. Life has been discouraging to the point where we don't even recognize what happened last week from eight months ago. And what happens to us sometime when life gets so discouraging and frustrating that there's a tendency to kind of sit back and just kind of check out. You really don't engage anymore. We kind of have a tendency to just say, does it even matter what I do? We just kind of get distracted by life. And over time, we just find ourselves kind of isolating, kind of lowering our standards. And over time, what we do is we, we just say, you know, does it even matter anymore? We start saying things that we normally would not say. We start doing things we normally would not do. Come on in. We start watching things we normally would not watch. And then over time, we just find we compromise more and more. And that's why I love this little book of Haggai. Because the little book of Haggai calls us back. The little book of Haggai helps us to get back on track. See, this little book, it's about a very devoted group of Israelites that were in captivity. And while they were in captivity, all they wanted to do was to get back to Jerusalem. They wanted to get back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. So they prayed over and over, God, would you get us out of captivity so we can rebuild that temple? And what did, and then God answered the prayer. He got them out of captivity. He brought them to Jerusalem, and they started to work hard on the temple. They worked on the foundation. They worked on the altar. And for two years, that's all they did was work on the temple. And then, you know what happened? They got discouraged, and they stopped working on the temple. They just said, now's not the time. We'll do that later. We'll do that another time. And so the book of Haggai comes in where God sends Haggai the prophet to say to the people, hey, you've got to get back to doing what you wanted to do. See, in the book of Haggai, building the temple, that, that, that they were actually literally building the temple, but when we look at the book of Haggai, it reminds us that we are building our relationship with God. That's the metaphor that we see today is that Haggai reminds us the, the importance of making our relationship with God a priority. And the importance of putting God first in our life. That's what the book of Haggai reminds us today. So let me read Haggai verse 1 through 11. 
It's called A Call to Rebuild the Temple. On August 29 of the second year of King Darius' reign, the Lord gave a message through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiah, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. The people are saying, The time is not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the Lord sent this message to the prophet Haggai. Why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins? This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Look at what has happened to you. You have planted much, but harvest little. You eat, but you're not satisfied. You drink, but you're still thirsty. You put on clothes that you can't, but cannot keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Look at what is happening to you. Now go up into the hills. Bring down timber and rebuild my house. Then I will take pleasure in it and I will be honored, says the Lord. You hoped for a rich harvest, but they were poor. And when you brought your harvest home, it blew away. Why? Because my house lies in ruins, says the Lord of heaven's armies, while all of you are busy building your own fine houses. It's because of you that the heavens withhold the dew and the earth produces no crops. I have called for a drought on the fields and hills, a drought to wither the grain and grapes and olive trees and all the other crops, a drought to starve you and your livestock and to ruin everything that you have worked so hard to get. See, the book of Haggai was written about 500 years before Jesus came to earth. The book of Haggai was written, you remember the, the Israelites, they got back to Jerusalem, and for two years they worked hard on the temple, and then for the next 16 years they did nothing. So 18 years after they get back home, that's when this book was written. This is when, uh, when Haggai was sent to the Israelites. And so when Haggai comes on the scene, the Israelites are very vulnerable. You remember, for 70 years, the nation was in captivity in Babylon, and while they're there, that's all they wanted to do was they wanted to get back to Jerusalem. They thought if we get back to Jerusalem, everything's going to be okay. And when we get back there, we can start working on the temple, and life will be great. And they did that, but once they started to work on the temple, discouragement came against them. And now nothing is going well. I think we relate to that. I think sometimes we have this idea in our mind, if this happens, then I will be happy. If this happens, then I will be encouraged. And I think over the last year with this whole COVID thing going on, we've had a lot of dates that we thought, well, when that happens, and then we'll finally break through. How many times have we heard when the election is over, then things will get back to normal? Or when the inauguration happens, then we'll get back to normal. I think a lot of us have been set up over the last year that we think, oh, when this date happens, when this thing happens, then things will get better only to find discouragement just has a way of creeping in over and over. And so the book of Haggai is such an important book for the church right now because it's a reminder of what happens when you get discouraged and a reminder what God wants to do when you are discouraged. Because so often what you see when discouragement hits is a lack of restraint, where people can no longer control themselves and things get a little chaotic. 
And so you see what happens for the Israelites when they get discouraged, they no longer put God first. Instead, they put their own lives first. They stopped working on the temple and they started working on their own house and their own property. Because see, as I said earlier, discouragement has this way of sneaking into your life and start changing your priorities and starts changing your perspective so you start doing things that you never wanted to do before. But because you're so discouraged, you start doing things and you're not even realizing it. So you remember when the Israelites, they, when they got back to Jerusalem and they worked on the temple, everything was going great for those two years. But once they stopped, they found their life was kind of a mess. It's that biblical principle that we find in Matthew 6, verse 33, that says, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. In other words, it's a principle of you put God first, and everything else will follow along. So what happened to the Israelites? Why did they get so discouraged? If you go back to the book of Ezra, you're going to, the book of Ezra tells us why the Israelites got so discouraged. It tells us the Israelites got back. They worked hard on the temple. They restored the, built the new foundation for the temple. They built some altars. And then in Ezra 4, verse 4 and 5, it says, Then the local residents tried to discourage and frighten the people of Judah to keep them from their work. They bribed agents to work against them and to frustrate their plans. It's interesting. Everything's going well for the Israelites. They're working hard on the temple, and the other people in town, the other nations, started to notice what they were doing and thought, we're going to discourage these people. To the point they even hired people to discourage the Israelites. They wanted to beat down their morale because they wanted to get them to stop following God. Matthew Henry, in his commentary, says, Every attempt to revive true religion will stir up the opposition of Satan and those in whom he works. You try to do what God's calling you to do, and Satan will oppose you. And we see this for the Israelites. They're doing what God has called them to do, and the enemy comes in to discourage them. So why am I bringing that up today? to remind us that we do have a real enemy that's working overtime to discourage all of us. And we've all seen that in the last year. The discouragement keeps growing. <coughs> and also to remind us that we have a God who sends in his Holy Spirit to give us wisdom and to teach us all things and to fight for us in battle. And to remind us that God is standing beside each and every one of us, ready to do whatever we need. And right now, we are all in a battle. And it's important that we remember that God's standing next to us, but also that we have that Holy Spirit that's working on our behalf. See, this is where Lent comes in. This is where Lent comes in. It's a time for us to slow down and to kind of remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. See, Haggai had this pretty big message to give to the Jews, to the Israelites. 
he comes on scene and he says to the Israelites, in verse 2, he's like, why are you saying it's not time to put God first in your life? He says to him, why do you have all these excuses right now? And he says to the Israelites, why are you focusing on your own house and your own property and your own business? Now, this, this is not a chapter or a rebuke for having nice house or nice things or anything like that. Not at all. This is a chapter on priorities. He's saying to the Israelites, why isn't God your first priority? Why are you now prioritizing your business and your job and everything going else going on? And then he follows it up in verse 7. He says to the Israelites, look what's happening to you. In verse 9, he says, you know, you hope for so much more, but none of it happened simply because you stopped putting me first in your life. See, the Israelites, they did have to work on their houses. They did have to work on their crops. Everything was destroyed. Their economy was destroyed. They had a lot of work to do, but God comes in and through the prophet Haggai saying, why did you abandon putting me first? Why did you think you had to take care of everything else? Because it goes back to the principle in Matthew, you seek first the kingdom of God and God will take care of everything for you. See, the basic message of Haggai is you need to put God first. See, the Israelites thought, well, we just get home to Jerusalem, everything will be okay. That was their goal. But they kind of forgot that all the discouragement would follow them. See, what the Israelites were learning is that the blessing was not being back in Jerusalem. The blessing was not being out of Babylon. The blessing was God. The blessing was your relationship with God, not a change in circumstances. And the Israelites kind of had to learn that the hard way. So what is the solution for the Israelites? Hey, guys, pretty clear. Okay, this is your problem. Now what's the solution? In verse 8, he says to the Israelites, Now go up into the hills, bring down the timber, and rebuild my house. Then I will take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. In other words, Haggai says to the people, you got to go back and do what you're doing before. you got to go back and make me a priority. You need to go back and make sure that God is a priority and that God is being honored. And that's what we're going to do this month as we come into Lent. Let, Lent technically begins on Wednesday. It's a 40-day period that leads us up to Holy Week. And often when we talk about Lent, we talk about a time of repentance, a time of seeking God to forgive our sins, and that is true. That is a big, big part of Lent. But Lent is also about experiencing God more fully. Lent is about appreciating what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And so how do we do this? See, in Lent, what we do is we rely on the Holy Spirit that has come to be our helper and that is coming to teach us all things. And we acknowledge the fact that God has sent the Holy Spirit to teach us. So we want to acknowledge the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, but we also want to slow down in the next 40 days and to take this time serious so we can experience the fullness of Holy Week. Experience the fullness of what does Easter mean? What does Good Friday mean? What does the resurrection mean? 
But I think most important, it's a good time for us to say, in what ways have we been distracted over the last year and maybe compromised some of our values or our morals or our principles? What are ways in our lives that maybe the enemy has sneaked into our life, changed our perspective and our priority, and now we're doing things and saying things or acting like people that we don't want to be? Lent is a time to say to the Holy Spirit, would you do that work in my life to set me free from maybe some bad habits I picked up over the last year? So we want to take this serious as a community to go through Lent together. So you are all going to get a family gift bag. And in this wonderful bag, you're going to get a book. A book by Paul David Tripp. I love Paul David Tripp. He's very deep but it's a very accessible book. You know, it's, 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 I hate to say easy to read because it sounds sometimes, but it's easy to read, but it's deep. I think you will all love the book. It's designed to be a 40-day devotional. So you're going to start on Wednesday. You're going to read a chapter each day. Each chapter is maybe two, three pages. It starts with an introduction. That's your assignment. You've got to read that before Wednesday. But I think you're going to enjoy this book. I think you're going to find it very enriching in your life and in your relationship with God. And I think you're going to find it powerful because it's going to help us all slow down and to examine our lives and to examine our relationship with God and to maybe get back on track if we've got off track. So you look at the Israelites. They had all good intentions. They went back and they were going to work on the temple and they did that hard for two years and then the enemy sent in people and he paid people to discourage them. They gave up. They probably didn't even know that they compromised. They just thought, well, now it's not time to do the temple. We're going to focus, we're going to focus on the things we got going on over here. I think we've all done that in the last year. So let's take the time to allow the Holy Spirit to teach us all things and read through this book. And, this, and there's some scriptures at the end of each chapter. And then what we're going to do is Wednesday is officially uh, Ash Wednesday, beginning of Lent. So we're going to do a church service here, um, or like this whole web streaming thing at 630 and so we invite you to participate with us in that. I know some of you work in your schedules, and that's hard to, so you can watch at home. And typically on Ash Wednesday, you know, it's that, you put the ashes on your forehead. Oh, we got that taken care of. This is when the helper in the front row, your own ashes for home. So, yeah, the whole, ex- yeah. And she put in a little disclaimer. Make sure you're careful when you open it. Don't spill it on the carpeting. We're not going to come clean your house. And also in here, the helper gave you all instructions. You have a whole list of what we're going to do for the next 40 days. Uh, It's going to explain the book. It's going to talk about, we also have a scripture journal in here that Susie Rensema made up kind of an explanation of what is a scriptural journal plan. It's beautiful. If you've never journaled, try it. Try it for a day. Simply what you do is there's different verses that you read each day and just kind of write out the verse by hand. It's a kind of a powerful way to kind of really interact with a scripture and to kind of, you write it out, then you, the word kind of speaks to you more. Just, just give it a try. A little instruction on here what to do. So there's, there's a scripture that you could journal every day that's really connected into Lent. And then, for all you techies, 
Now, if you have any questions about this paper, do not ask me. You ask Becky. I will not understand a thing. We have a new app for your phone, and it can do a lot of things. It has a calendar, it has a church directory, it has groups, it has a give tab, and it's just, and you read this, and it tells you how to download it to your phone. Now, this is very strategic and powerful, because what we're going to do every Wednesday, we're going to do a Zoom thing on Wednesday. First Wednesday next week, or this week, is the live stream. Then the Wednesdays after that, through Lent, we're going to do a Zoom call just to get together as a community for an hour, talk about the book, talk about the devotional, not like a big teaching for an hour, but more get people on there to build community. Maybe you can share what's happened in this book, how it spoke to you, something like that. You're going to do that on Wednesday. So now if you join this app, you're going to have that little calendar, and then you just click it, and it's just going to make life a whole lot easier for all of you. So that is in this bag. You will get one on your way out. Those of you online, again, we will get one to you, and we will make sure that you get that. And um, all right. That's what we're going to do. That's going to be powerful. So what can we expect? What can we expect to happen if we do all of this? See, this is what I like about the book of Haggai, too. He tells what happens when the people get back on track. In verse 12, it tells us that after Haggai gave all of his instructions to the people and told them what was wrong, and then it says in verse 12 that the people began to obey the message from Haggai. They actually started to do what Haggai told them to do. And then in verse 13, it says, then God said to the people, I'm with you. And that's kind of powerful, that the Israelites took one step towards repentance, and immediately God says to them, I'm with you. But we know from the Bible that God is always with us. So it's not like the Israelites sinned and then God wasn't with them anymore, but I think what happens sometimes is that when we are not following the Lord, we're not putting him in a priority, we have no idea that he's with us and standing next to us. And I think Haggai is a reminder to us what happens when God is your priority, when you put God first, suddenly you realize that he is right there with you. And you can start hearing him in a better way. And he starts speaking to you more. And I think it's like times when you pick up your Bible, you start opening it up and and it, it seems to come more alive to you. It seems to be more powerful to you. And that's what we can expect to happen. And then it goes on in verse 14, and it says, So the Lord sparked their enthusiasm. See, the Israelites made a step towards repentance and following God, and it says, Then God sparked their enthusiasm. Other translations say that God stirred up their spirits. I think probably all of us want God to stir up our spirits. I think each and every one of us want a little bit more enthusiasm in our life because the last year has been really hard and it's been very difficult. And I love this just the the significance that Haggai says, hey, let's put God first. Let's get back to doing what we're doing before. Let's make God our priority and see how God stirs us up. Let's see how God stirs us up and gives us greater enthusiasm for him. I think it's strategic that we do this together. 
I know it's easy to, to, to do what the Israelites did and say, well, I don't have time for that right now. But remember what happened when the Israelites said, well, I don't have time for that. Then Haggai comes on scene and says, but look at what's happening if you don't make time for it. So I encourage us all, let's make time for Lent this year. Let's make time for that book and to read the Bible and do the scripture journaling. Let's make time for it so we can see that fullness come where we experience that we know that God is next to us. That we sense the Holy Spirit that is in us and leading us into all things. I think it's important that we come now and have just this greater awareness of God with us. And sometimes I think we blow through Easter and Lent and we, we fail to see the significance of what Jesus has done for us. And that's what they're calling us to. Let's see the significance of this season and let's slow down and experience the fullness of what God has for us. I'm excited for us. I'm excited for the church. See, there's a big battle right now, not with just discouragement, just a battle for what is true. What is the truth? I mean, sometimes you look at situations, you're like, it seems so obvious what the truth is. But for some people, it's not obvious anymore. And God has called us to be agents of reconciliation. God's called us to speak truth and love and kindness. And I think God wants to get us ready. See, I just kind of think that there's probably a revival that's going to come soon. I think there is. And usually before revivals, there's a renewal that happens in the church. There's a renewal that happens in the church where people become more aware of their sins and they become more aware of who God is and the sacrifice that he has made. And I think God is leading us in this path to say, let's have a greater awareness of our situation right now and a greater awareness of what Jesus came to do. And as Jesus does that work in us, then we're ready and more prepared to share the gospel with a world that doesn't see the truth and doesn't know the truth. Because the scripture tells us that Satan has blinded their eyes so they don't see the truth. And I think God is getting prepared. to open the eyes of a lot of blind people that don't see the truth. That's what we're praying for. That's what we're hoping for. But now we need to get prepared for that. As a body and a community, we need to get prepared so we can receive those people into the church, into our community, into our lives. And that we can be the agents of reconciliation that God has called us to be. 
that we can reflect Christ to a world that really needs him right now. So let's pray. God, I thank you for today. I thank you, Lord, for the power of your Holy Spirit. I thank you, Lord, for the visual of your Holy Spirit that, Lord, you do send your Holy Spirit to us to fight our battles. So, Lord, we come today, each one of us, for those that are at home watching, for the few that are here watching. And, God, we ask that you would do a work in our heart, in our life, to make us dependent upon the Holy Spirit. Lord, would you help us today to submit to what you are doing? And Lord, may we leave here today following, following you with new determination and new boldness. God, I thank you that your word does tell us that your Holy Spirit teaches us all things. So God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would teach each person that's listening to me what they need to know and reveal to us what we need to see. Lord, would you open our eyes to the truth? And Lord, help us to become more like your son. God, would you prepare us? And God, we continue to pray that you'd bring revival to our families, in our city, into West Michigan, into the nations of the world. But God, I pray that as you are working to do a renewal in each of us, and even in our own church community, that, Lord, we would be obedient to your calling. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we thank you for today in Jesus' name. Amen.